Before we get started, I just want to put a trigger warning up top. This episode contains discussions on suicidal ideation and attempts. Well, we all have a face that we hide away forever. We take them out and show ourselves when everyone has gone. Hi, I'm Winston. I think one of the biggest reasons mental health has been a relatively taboo topic for so long is simply because when someone has a mental health emergency, it's largely invisible. Physical injuries are immediately obvious, but could you tell if someone's having a depressive episode? And because it's so invisible, it's also difficult to understand or empathize with. And when you think that no one understands or will take the time to find out what you're going through, it's just easier to not tell them. Eventually, your mental health struggles become something that only you know. Given enough time, you grow used to having two faces. One you show everyone else, and one that you show only yourself. Welcome back to Vibe Check, mental health in the startup world a Tech Asia podcast where I talk to startup leaders and mental health experts to see what I can learn from them when it comes to managing my mental well-being. In episode one, I got a general understanding, a big picture look at the mental wellness landscape and that there's a growing awareness and appreciation of the importance of mental well-being. Next, I want to hear from someone who could show me exactly how deep this rabbit hole could go. Someone who's gazed into the abyss and been able to come back to let people know that it does indeed gaze back. Someone like Sabrina Oi, CEO and co-founder of Calm Collective Asia, an organization which is working towards the mission of normalizing mental health conversations in Asia. So for each person who goes through or experiences bipolar disorder, it's different. For me, um, let's see, so I would have hyponmanic episodes of several weeks at a time, so maybe three to five weeks and then my depressive episodes that followed after um, would last anywhere between two to four months oh wow yeah yeah wow okay so that wow okay that takes up that fills up a year very quickly <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yes so uh, in one year I could go through like maybe two cycles of that um, and then in between would be kind of like stabilizing and just like okay I'm just existing in between as someone who's been through more than her fair share of mental health issues, the mental well-being implications of the pandemic's lockdown measures were immediately apparent to Sabrina. Just hearing more and more people experiencing more burnout because they're not able to draw their boundaries between work and life, right? And another thing that's coming up a lot is uh, around meaning. A lot of people have found less and less meaning in the work they do because the connection to their colleagues, the connection to their clients is no longer there when you're just working from home. You don't feel like your your work is meaningful. You don't feel like you're making making an impact mm. to the people around you. She decided that she wanted to do something, anything about it. She picked up the phone. So how we got started was that I literally called two friends. I called Alyssa, my co-founder. Um, she and I have been talking for a while already about 
doing something about mental health, around content, around um, educating people. So I called her up first. Alyssa, do you want to do something? All right, you're free as well. Great. And then I called up another friend, Lukman, who I met through the web development course. So he's a UX designer. And um, I was like, we need a logo, Lukman. <laughs> All right. So Lukman was on it as well. So that's how we got started. Um, three of us founded Calm Collective um, in April 2020. And we... And the initial idea was to just support people through the lockdown. So Calm Collective today, we're a sustainable, mission-driven organization. And we have also kind of expanded our programs, not just for the community, but also for corporates. Mm. We've basically translated our community programs, like the talks, uh, Calm Circles that we do, um, peer support groups, mm. and also training programs into the corporate space mm. so that we can enable people to create psychologically safe spaces at work. We're also teaching them things like self-compassion. We're helping companies unpack mental health myths and to promote their EAP programs as well. But Sabrina's journey to helping others began with taking many, many years to figure out how to help herself first. The mental well-being journey is never a linear line. There are constant ups and downs. And a lot of the time, the most progress is made only after we term the deepest depths. For Sabrina, the journey to those depths began with getting bipolar disorder. Not that she knew that was the cause at the time. And in case you didn't know, having bipolar disorder is essentially the worst of both worlds. So I guess I, I got bipolar disorder or symptoms of it uh, since I was in my early 20s. Um, when you look at bipolar disorder you have this depressive episodes that look like depression um, by the same time you also have manic episodes or the highs where this is characterized by uh, lack of sleep for me i was sleeping like three to five hours a night mm -hmm. and feeling completely energetic um, you also feel kind of at you kind of feel uh, at the top of the world you might have some feelings of superiority or grandiosity where you have lots of big dreams and lots of projects that you're going to start and you also, it's also characterized by irritability you're like I just cannot stand these idiots you know mm -hmm. and you also um, yeah you're speaking really quickly where uh, because like you just have a thousand and one thoughts happening in your brain at a time and your your speech just cannot keep up with that mm -hmm. so that's mania Sabrina informed me that within the realm of bipolar disorder, there are different types along a spectrum. So for me, I have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder 2, which means that um, it's characterized by depressive episodes. I still feel and look depressed on those days. Um, and I also have hypomania, which is a less intense version of mania. Yeah. So um, how it, that was like for me was that um, I think... Just to be completely honest, when I was having those hypomanic episodes, I was just being an asshole. <laughs> I was being a dick. I don't have one, but uh, I was being one. Um, and I would just get really easily annoyed by people. And I would be starting lots of projects and, and all of that. And the next moment, I would just sink into depressive, uh, into, well, not depression, but into a depressive episode where I just lose all motivation to do anything. And, and 
it felt crap. Like it felt really shit when I, I, got, I went through those moments. Personally, I've experienced mood shifts before. Some days I feel like I have the Midas touch and then the next day I don't even want to get out of bed. However, I never hit the same extremes that Sabrina described to me or for such long periods. I've also never been formally diagnosed with anything. I'm unsure if I do have a condition or not. But, you know, it might be wise for me to get a proper check because ignorance of what was afflicting her led Sabrina to her lowest lows. So the, I think there were two turning points um, where I realized that I had to go seek help. So the first one was when um, a very close friend of mine actually committed suicide. And this was in 2015. And after he had passed away, I actually, that kind of triggered my own depressive episode where I was like, oh my goodness, um, is it so easy to just take my life and end things here? But then I guess what really drove me to seek help and get my diagnosis was when I had the... I had my I had a string of suicide attempts and this was in 2016 um, around the anniversary of my friend's passing and at that point I I was going through a lot of stress as well so the stress I was facing was that I had just come off a hypomanic episode I had committed to a rented apartment that was a bit too expensive or out of budget and then um, it kind of hit me and I realized that oh no I can't keep this up so the financial stress really triggered it and the other part of it was also uh, around my job so I was in a job which, uh, which it was basically a sales BD job right and I don't know about you but um, anyone who's doing a biz dev client facing job has quite a lot of stress so because of the anxiety stress and kind of like mild depression in the background i was just so stressed it was just like snowballing up to a point where i couldn't take it i think cognitively i was just like oh my goodness all these feelings and i just don't want to be here but i i still want to be here but i want to fix myself but i can't um that kind of drove me to um yeah to the top of a 20-story building where I I really wanted to kill myself that day. Yeah, this was back in March of 2016. So what were your thoughts as you stood up there? I guess my thoughts were really... Um, well, firstly, I kept looking down and I was wondering, ah, crap, if I were to go, it's going to make a big mess. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I think I was like, uh, I don't want to mess be messy and like what if my brain gets on the <laughs> side of the wall it's kind of gross <laughs> and what's gonna happen if someone finds me and I, I scar them you know I, I didn't want to yeah I didn't want to bring other people down with me so I, I kind of was just stuck there um, I wasn't sure what to do um, I kind of yeah I, I didn't want to die but I just didn't want to live right I was just like oh, I just don't want to be here and the only way to get out of this place or get out of my brain was to kill it, right? Um, but I didn't really want that either. I just wanted things to be well again and for me to be able to see clearly, but I, I couldn't. I guess I was sitting there for quite a while and the next thing I knew, um, there were these policemen and firemen kind of driving up and I was like, crap, that's, is it because of me? You know, is it, am I the cause of this commotion? 
attempting to commit suicide is actually against the law in Singapore. So Sabrina spent the next several hours in jail and at Singapore's Institute of Mental Health for emergency treatment. Unfortunately, that wasn't enough of a wake-up call. A month later, she tried again. Uh, April of 2016. So that one was... I think... I, I don't know. I don't know whether it was really me wanting to kill myself or it was my final call for help, I guess. I, I'm not sure. Um, um, how that played out was that I... Yeah, I just put all my family members into a WhatsApp group. I got on top of uh, like the 20-something floor again and I just said, hey, um, this is where you'll find me. And yeah, I wrote a note and said like, yeah, I'm, I'm done and I'm out. Thank you for everything and, and whatnot. Um, but yeah, but I don't know. I, I still couldn't bring myself to kill myself, you know. I was definitely contemplating for quite a while before I even sent out that note. Um, then my dad had come um, to where I was. He found me and, uh, and I, I think when I saw that he was so distressed, that was when I, I guess I, I sobered up and I realized that, oh, okay, um, maybe I can try a bit harder to see how I can figure out this life thing. Yeah. The abyss had gazed back and whispered to her to try again. And that meant a complete return to the basics. From then onwards, when you really, when you really, okay, okay, let's try, let's fix this. What was those first few steps towards rebuilding yourself like? I pretty much had to reset everything. Because um, I felt at that point I had let go of work, right? I had let go of even, I guess, my friends as well. I, I, I was just like, you know what? I, I don't want to pretend that I'm okay. I'm not going to pressure myself into, um, into going for certain social events or obligations. Um, and I really wanted to focus on my own healing. So the first step of my healing was really to accept that I needed to get help, right? And then um, the other part of it was to go get help in the form of medication. So what I learned in seeing the psychiatrist was that I, yeah, that this was something to do with my biology and it's not just a character defect, right? So I think the initial realization that this is a medical issue and not a character personality issue was such an important realization for me to accept that I needed to get help. And in taking the medication, it also helped me to realize that, oh, wait a minute, like, there are actually positive effects of the medication to my my entire well-being, right? So the medication actually allowed me to think a little bit more clearly, even though it kind of uh, um, dampened my emotions. I was not really feeling much, but at least I was just able to cope with life day to day, right. right? So it got me to a point where I can cope. But of course, there's more to life than simply existing. Now stabilized, Sabrina said about fixing the issues of the past. The other thing that really helped was that um, my psychiatrist also got me to see a therapist. And 
one thing I learned from that process was that it's not just a matter of the medication. The medication is really to help you stabilize and to function day to day. But it's not going to fix all your underlying shit <laughs> that you've been carrying around since your childhood, all that baggage, all that trauma. Um, so you still have to go to therapy to unpack all of that because all of these maladaptive um, thought processes or behaviors are still going to come back and bite you in the ass if you don't fix the root cause. Mm. And there are a lot of things that you can do when you process your trauma or your past experiences into a way that's a bit healthier. But how do you go from there to, you know, opening up again to friends and like Ooh. building a life again? Building a life. Basically. Yeah, that's actually a really good way to put it. Um, one of them was literally going back to basics. So I allowed myself not to jump straight into finding another job yet. Um, what I did was that I had enrolled myself into a web development course um, and I wanted to learn something. So I realized that getting myself into this, um, like a beginner's mindset, not just with my mental health, but also with work was really helpful. So as I was learning how to code, I was also, you know, le realizing that, oh, hang on, I, I've got this. I'm, I have some control over my, my growth here. By building web applications, I was also rebuilding myself, actually. Very poetic. <laughs> right? Yeah. I was like, I've never said that, but I was like, hmm. Uh, and at the same time, the other thing that I did quite religiously was um, I had signed up for a gym membership and I was going frequently, like three, four times a week at minimum. And I made that a part of my self-care self -care routine. The, the hormones that you get from, um, from exercise really do make you feel better. And I was experiencing that. Um, when I was in the web de development course, I would end the day with going to the gym, um, just doing like hit or running or whatever. And yeah, that made me feel better. Um, I felt like I could actually control my, my own life that way. Not to distract from Sabrina's story, but I've personally experienced the mental health benefits of exercise. The social ostracization I experienced during my teenage years left me feeling utterly lost. Part of how I coped was with almost daily exercise. In addition to the positive chemicals Sabrina talked about, seeing tangible results, I lost 20 kilograms in six months and finally shed the obese label I'd had all my life, did a lot to boost my self-esteem. Like what Sabrina said, I felt like I could actually control my own life that way. But there's another layer of difficulty when it comes to reconnecting with others. Your own best efforts might not be enough if there's no reciprocation. I received very mixed responses. Um, some of them were like, well, Sabrina, you were not there and you're not being a friend. Friends should reply to each other. And I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> I got <laughs> right. that, um, okay. you know, and some people like didn't reply. Some people just said, okay, yeah, like you deal with your shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. It was very hurtful at, at the beginning. Um, but then I, I've also realized that there's only so much you can do. Um, and at the end of the day, I also recognize who my, I guess, who my real friends were and who, um, who had that emotional range to understand what I was going through. Because one thing I've learned through my journey is that if you don't understand it yourself, whether it's like firsthand, secondhand, then it's very difficult to empathize with someone going through. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Going through an invisible struggle. So it's very easy to judge. 
and it's easy to also yeah project all your assumptions and your own experiences onto the person when you don't fully comprehend it at the start of the episode i talked about showing different faces to others and to yourself along the same lines we put on a different persona in the work setting as well depending on the person it may or may not vary greatly from their natural self but a certain degree of professionalism is nevertheless necessary it is also another potential minefield for one's mental well-being. Do you volunteer that info freely? Do you only tell when asked? Or do you never let it slip, no matter what? When you bring other people into the picture, everything becomes incredibly complex. And of course, the brain will always worry about the worst case scenarios. So I eased myself back into the working world. What happened was that I well I initially started out by working for my dad's company because you know safe space eventually I, I got a job at Entrepreneur First where um, my then manager Izzy she actually gave, she kind of took a chance on me that actually gave me the confidence to to interact with new people um, and then following that what happened was that I I guess I recognize that I really still have I'm still a marketer at heart, right? And therefore, what made sense was Martech, marketing technology. And that's when I got a job at Salesville. And then yeah, uh, from there I jumped to my my latest role before Calm Collective. A nice gradual reintroduction to corporate life. Again, I saw parallels to my own journey. After my teenage troubles, I rebuilt my confidence in Singapore's mandatory military national service. Being able to work alongside others in tough circumstances and make a few friends essentially showed me that I wasn't all bad, certainly not deserving of ostracization. But there was still one more hurdle for Sabrina to overcome. Okay, so you mentioned that you know you didn't really like uh, talk about it I mean I don't think it really came up anyway we didn't really talk yeah, about it that, when, that's the thing like, right? it never comes up right so yeah. I actually never told anyone about my mental health uh, condition in a work setting until my last job at ABTST around the time that my grandfather had passed away so this was at the end of 2019 um, I was going through a mild moderate depressive phase because I was a bit upset um yeah, I mean, we were quite close when I was growing up and I was quite upset because I was actually away when he passed away. So I didn't really have that closure that I wanted. And it actually kind of seeped into my working life where I I wasn't able to concentrate for a few days. So I went to see my psychiatrist and my psychiatrist said, Sabrina, what do you need? Okay, you need antidepressants, but do you also need more time off? of work um, and then he said um, why don't I give you two weeks off to to reset and recover two weeks is a pretty long time Sabrina's boss suddenly thought so when she informed him and then he was like what what is this because he had no context right he had no context huh so so he was quite um, he was quite understanding and then he said okay Sabrina take the time that you need so when I came back to work actually after a week after, uh, a week after that I shared with my boss that actually I, I do have bipolar disorder. And um, yeah, and it's a condition that I've been living with and managing pretty well up till then. Um, and 
that was where I had to open up. And to my surprise, he was quite curious about it. And he also shared that his mother is actually a therapist. And I was like, oh my God, mm. you should understand that. <laughs> I, uh, I should have shared this earlier. <laughs> right? I don't know, like, but these things don't come up, right? Yes, of course. Uh, so he turned out to be a lot more understanding um, than I had expected because I was really, really afraid coming, into, coming back to the office. This was an important personal milestone in Sabrina's mental health journey. So would you say that that was the point where you completely, fully normalized and accepted this condition in yourself? That was probably the final hurdle, right? Mm. Because um, on a personal level, I, I was already talking about, it, talking about it openly with my friends and my family, even the aunties that my mom told me not to talk to. Her, <laughs> right? like, I, I was open with them already, right. right? But the final hurdle was to bring that part of me to work which I had, you know, consciously left out, you know. Um, so yeah, there, there are lots of levels of stigmatization. Um, I think one of the big ones is really around self-stigma. And I think I had that self-stigmatization in the workplace, which I had to overcome. And that incident with my, I guess, with my emotions and my grandfather's passing really enabled me to step into that. Now, as a co-founder, Sabrina faces new mental challenges, ones that she sees fellow founders also dealing with. Amongst friends who are or have been founders, um, I think the biggest thing that founders struggle with would be loneliness and then stress and burnout. Yeah, I find that founders take on so much and oftentimes they don't talk about it or they don't have the time to share, right? And to just let it go. I still have imposter syndrome when I say <laughs> I am a co-founder, yeah? Mm. Yes. CEO, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the responsibility that comes with that title is, is scary. There's also a lot of pressures in being a manager. I have to manage people now and people are looking to me for direction and guidance. And to be honest, I don't, like I don't know everything and I have to be comfortable with saying and admitting that I don't know, right? Of course, she had learned by now that these things don't resolve themselves. Active steps had to be taken. So one of the things that I've told myself from the start and we made this agreement between me and the, our two other co-founders was that we really have to walk the talk. If we're going to be normalizing mental health conversations, we have to take care of our mental health in order to do so responsibly. What has been really helpful is that I have my own routines when it comes to self-care. Um, one of it is kind of a morning ritual where I make sure I have about an hour, one or two hours to ground myself before I even answer any emails. Um, part of that includes... Um, Part of that includes meditation, um, just having some time with my tea, um, journaling, um, exercising as well. I'm not very good at that, but I, I'm, I'm going to say this publicly so that I stick to it. I also make sure that I, I manage my calendar very well. Um, I remove anything that's like non-essential. Um, I make sure there's a bit of gap time in between my meetings. Besides learning how to manage her day-to-day, -day, Sabrina had also picked up some life lessons and truths from her mental health journey. 
just having gone through my struggles, I guess, and and processing the learnings have really enabled me to expand my emotional range to to connect with other people. And I've also developed a lot more patience and compassion towards anyone who's struggling. And that has really enabled me to to do the work I do, really. Yeah. Just being able to see another person as just a fellow human being and appreciating them um, innately for who they are. Putting well-being first doesn't just mean that you go soft on yourself. It's also about being able to assert your boundaries in a healthy way. It's also about being able to communicate in a way that's healthy to your team, to the people around you. We cannot assume that someone else knows what's best for us. Only you know what's best for you. And you need to be you need to take responsibility for that and communicate it. If you don't communicate it, no one will know and you just gotta suck it up. While the magnitude of challenges faced were obviously very different, I found a lot of relatable story beats between Sabrina's journey and mine, which made talking to her very inspirational. It showed me what's possible if we were all just more comfortable with the concept of mental illnesses. If we could all just understand and own that part of ourselves, seek help when we need it, and set our own boundaries, we can all lead so much happier, balanced lives. It's a lot of work, but it's worth it. But this has just taught me about finding and maintaining one's own footing. What if crisis hits when you're a leader? How do you deal mentally with being responsible for the futures of others when everything is going alright? So that was the worst days of my life because we were going to fire them. So my co-founder and I had to, you know, have the last dinner or last lunch. And after that, we had to like nudge each other. Hey, you say or I say. Then we went somewhere for coffee and then we had to break the news. And it was just very upsetting and shocking and to today like when I walk past that cafe I did the firing I still have like, PTSD um, no it, it really really sucked in episode 3 I talked to Zilia Leong co-founder of Anywhere and Praisepel about making a painful pivot that affected many lives and the heavy mental burden that came with doing so Vibe Check Mental Health in the Startup World is a podcast by Tech in Asia Special thanks to Calm Collective Asia and Sabrina Oi for taking the time to speak with me. As I mentioned, Calm Collective Asia is an organization which is working towards the mission of normalizing mental health conversations in Asia. Do check them out. This is the second episode of five in this podcast mini-series. I hope you're learning as much as I am and that you'll continue to journey with me. My name's Winston. Thank you for listening.